What would life after death look like that would be really great? I mean, you get there, you're in that environment, you're in that atmosphere, and for you, what would that one thing be that you would want more than anything else? If you had that, experienced that, if you were there, that would be something that would be really, really great for you. What would be the one thing that would be your kind of like litmus test of what heaven would really need to be like? Would it be maybe freedom from something? Like on this earth, you know, there's just a lot of struggles and lots of temptations or maybe freedom from an addiction. Would, would, would heaven for you, that life after death experience for you, would that be um, like a person like, you know, you've been married or you were married to him or to her for like like 60 years and, you know, like you just really miss them. Or maybe, maybe you know, you spent too much time with them and you're just, you know, you're good with that. You're ready to move on with that. I, I don't know. But other people maybe you want to see and be with in heaven other than your, than your spouse. Maybe it's a certain place. You know, for you, you kind of like would have in your mind a certain place or a certain environment. Uh, my family and I, we do this class at the YMCA called the Y-Flex, and it's four minutes on each muscle group. And I'm good with most of it, but I hate the squats, the leg squats, and the lunges. And so every time you know this lady does this four minutes of, of squats, I go to my happy place in my mind. I really do. I go to a hammock in St. John. A year and a half ago, our 25th anniversary, we went to St. John, and that's my happy place for those four minutes of squats and four minutes of life. Maybe for you, life after death is like a certain place in your life. Well, let me give you some more examples. I got some pictures that maybe this is kind of what life after death would be for you if you could boil it all down to one thing. Look at some of these pictures. It's a beautiful, you know, scenery there. That would be heaven for you. Maybe a gorgeous waterfall if you were in that environment, you know, for a couple of billion years. You had your own island. That's life after death. That's for you, baby. Your own. That's me, the hammock right there. That's it right there, the hammock. Okay? Or you could eat whatever you wanted, however much you wanted, however long you wanted. Your own playground set, man, that's cool. You didn't have to build it, it just showed up. How about that, huh? You and your best friend high-fiving each other. Freshwater fishing, your own little place there. Maybe for you, you're, you're the pitcher there. You're the, out, you're, the, you're the batter at sports. You're the hero. You got your own little boat going on right there. That's your house, baby, right there. That's your mansion. <laughs> Got your own pool, your own pool guy out there cleaning it. Got a cabin up in the woods somewhere, snow. You look like her. You look like him, or you wish you could have her, or you wish you could have him. Okay, or you got a family. Now this next picture is definitely heaven right here. That's it, baby. That's it, right there. Offshore fishing. That's what, it doesn't get any better than that. I think in our minds, we have a lot of different conjectures about what life after death what would be great for you and for me. But here's what I think. I think more than all those pictures, I think even more than being free from something or free for something or being with certain people or even being with certain places, I think what we long for more than anything else is to be in a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. I think... Life after death for you and for me, 
what heaven will really be great is to be known fully and to be fully known. To be in a right Because here's what I know. After 30 years of doing this, we still struggle with our identity in Christ. We know we've become a Christian. We know we've given our life to Christ. We know we've been baptized in Christ. We know we pray. We know we read our Bibles. We know we go to some different Bible studies. But we still struggle on this earth with really feeling good about our relationship with God. But there's coming a day, a glorious day, an amazing day, when you and I will feel so whole in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Listen to what John Donne wrote. John Donne was an English poet back in the 17th century. And I think John Donne captures exactly what our greatest desire is. Our greatest desire is this. John Donne wrote, I shall rise from the dead. I shall see the Son of God, the Son of glory, and shine myself as that sun shines. I shall be united to the Ancient of Days, to God Himself, who had no morning, never began. No man ever saw God and lived, and yet I shall not live till I see God. And when I see Him, I shall, I, I shall never die. Now look at this. John Donne is saying, I'm going to see God. The longing of my heart and the longing of my life is to see God. It's what David wrote. David wrote this in Psalm 63, verse 1. David said, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I know if I were writing down the top 25 things that I would want from heaven, I got a ring in this thing. Can you guys take the ring out of this for me, please? Thank you. I know the top 25 things that I would want in heaven would be, you know, beaches and fishing and food and people and places. But the most important part about heaven, the most important part about heaven is still a connection with our Heavenly Father. Now turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation chapter 22, we're going to look at that as our main text, but I'm just going to review right now and look at Revelation 21. But you turn, if you would, to the last book of the Bible... The very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. Last week, however, I'm going to review for just a second in Revelation 21. And in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, we talked all last Sunday about a new heaven and a new earth. And someday you and I are going to have resurrected bodies with resurrected lives on a resurrected universe, a new heaven and a new earth. And wherever God is, that's heaven. And so last week we talked about how the old heaven and the old earth had passed away and the new heaven comes down to a brand new earth. And I just want to review for just a second. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now. This is a great little Greek word. It means the culmination. It means at last. It means finally. It means this is what we've been waiting for. Finally, the dwelling of God is with men. Now folks, that's God's plan. We may think heaven's about us. And we may think heaven's for us. Heaven has always been God's dance. It has always been God's party. 
way back before the foundation of the earth was ever created. He had perfect fellowship with the Father and with the Son and the Spirit. He didn't have to create us, but He did. And so heaven is really not about you as much as it is all about God. And so God can't wait. He cannot wait for the dwelling to be with us. The dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, that was last week. This week, I want to talk about what I think is our greatest longing. And that is to be fully known and to be known fully. And so look at Revelation chapter 22, and we're going to look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And this is what I think is the greatest longing of your life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. And I mentioned last Sunday, the tree of life is mentioned seven times in the Bible. It's mentioned three times in the book of Genesis and four times in the book of Revelation. On on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curses. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. Now look at the next sentence. It's the next sentence I want you to circle, I want you to memorize, I want you to put maybe a, a line under it or a line through it. And this circle, circle this, is this. They will see His face. Now wait a minute. That's never happened before. Now, we know that for those of us that are Christians, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we know as Christians that we can approach God's throne room with confidence and with boldness. And we know today that there's little whispers of God, and we can feel God, and we can see God, and we can sense God. And just like Wade shared during, during communion, you know, God was telling him to put on his seatbelt. I mean, we get those whispers. We get those overflows of God. But we know today we can't see his face. I don't care how spiritual you are, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, we know today we can't see his face. And ancient Israel was very clear on this. Nobody sees the face of God and lives. And so in the Old Testament, there was what's called the tabernacle. And inside of the tabernacle are two different rooms. And one room was called the Holy of Holy Place. And in that Holy of Holy Place, the high priest would go into that room once a year. And there, he wouldn't see God's face. He wouldn't, you know, have a an overwhelming epiphany, he would be in God's presence and it was just kind of an overwhelming experience. Now they were so concerned about the high priest going in there once a year that they tied a rope around his ankle just in case he screwed up in there and God took his life. I mean, who would volunteer to go in and get the guy after God just slayed him, right? So they tie a rope around his ankle and if he messed up, they'd actually pull the high priest out. Moses, ask. Lord, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And God basically said to Moses, you know what? You can't handle it. It's kind of like Jack Nicholson in the, you know, few good men. You can't handle the truth. Moses, you can't handle my glory. My glory is too bright, too powerful, too magnificent. And so God hides Moses 
in this rock, in the cleft of a rock, and God's backside passes in front of Moses. We know this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 tells us this. Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. See, nobody saw God. Nobody could see God. Nobody could be in God's presence like that and live. And yet, Revelation 22, verse 4 says, They will see His face. Now that verse shall just overwhelm us. That someday we will see God's face and we will be in God's presence and we will know Him fully just as we are fully known. Now I think you've got lots of desires. I think you've got lots of interests. I think heaven for you and for me will be filled with a lot of great activities. And I think there will be some awesome experiences that we have. But the best part about heaven and the most important part about heaven is going to be God. It's God's. It's God's heaven. And God invites us to come and be at his party. So every once in a while, I hear different presentations about heaven and they're, quite frankly, pretty boring. I mean, it's like heaven's going to be some great hymn-singing experience, you know, for billions and billions of years, and all we're going to be doing is, you know, singing or, or reading our Bibles or, or praying, and, and, and all the things that we really like to do on this earth, we're thinking, my gosh, is that it? Do, do all those things, like, go away? All the perks and all the things, all our interests and all the things that we like to do, do all those things go away? And I remember in Bible college, a guy came and preached a sermon about heaven, and I thought, my gosh, I want to live on this earth as long as I possibly can. Because his description of heaven, you know, for a you know, 21 year old, that just sucks to me. I mean, I want to live and do life and experience things. So I began to study this, you know, seriously about five or six years ago to see what is heaven and what will we be doing and how will we be experiencing some of these things. It's going to be great. Psalm 24, listen to this. Psalm 24, David says this. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Absolutely we'll be doing that. Asaph wrote this in Psalm 73. Psalm 73, Asaph said, Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. But it was Job, of all people. Job gives a revelation about heaven that I think is really stunning. Job says this in Job 19, 25, 26, and 27. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I mean, Jesus Christ hasn't been born yet, right? I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, He will stand upon the earth. There will be a new earth. And I don't know that Job is picturing that, but everything in the Bible just dovetails together. And the greatest miracle in the Bible is the Bible. Now, everything fits together so perfectly. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, and how my heart yearns within me. I think that's just amazing, the connection that we're going to have with God. But there's more. That's the main part. But there is more. 
We go to my in-laws' uh, parents' home about twice a year. They live about 35 minutes from the Great Smoky Mountains by car. And we go there, and I hike every day I can. This past Christmas, we were there for six days after Christmas, and I hiked four out of the six days. And I love it. I just really enjoy that environment. And so the girls were with me. Um, Danita and I went one time. Ethan and I took a walk one day together. And while I'm walking there, I mean, there's beautiful snow. The snow is just gorgeous. We're thanking God for the snow. Other times there'll be ice and the sun will be coming through the ice. And it's just a gorgeous picture. Um, in the springtime or summertime, there's all these different types of flowers. And there's trout in the streams. But I have never worshipped the flowers. I've worshipped the giver more than I have the gift, right? When we're there and I'm hiking, I'm thanking God for all these incredible things that I get to see and, and I get to experience. The problem with idolatry is when we focus on the gifts more than we do the giver, And so in those experiences up in the mountains, I have an incredible connection with those gifts. I'm so thankful for those gifts that God's allowed me to see and and experience. But it's the giver that's far more important. If you gave me a gift card to my favorite clothing store, and I bought myself, you know, you give me a $50 gift card, and I buy myself a shirt from there, I would enjoy the shirt. I'd be styling that new shirt. I'd enjoy that new shirt. But quite honestly, I'm far more interested in the person who gave it to me than I am even that article of clothing, right? And that's what God's going to do for us in heaven. Heaven is going to be wonderful. It's going to be filled with your dreams and your aspirations. You will be able to do so many fun things in heaven. But you'll never struggle with idolatry in heaven. The main part about heaven will always be our Father and how our Father has given us these amazing gifts. And so God's not up in heaven frowning if we enjoy a good meal or if we enjoy marital sex or if we enjoy the Super Bowl or if we enjoy a book. God's not up in heaven saying, stop that, stop that, you're having way too much fun. I don't want you to enjoy all the gifts that I've given to you. God would be disappointed if we're focusing on the gifts more than we are the giver. But God is the giver of all these good gifts. I think about what He's given to me. He's given me a wonderful bride of 26 and a half years. I have three great kids. I like my job. I like church. Sunday's the most exciting day of the whole week for me. I love teaching the Word of God. I love being your pastor. It's a gift. It's a gift that God has given unto me. We don't worship the gifts. We honor the giver. And that's the part about heaven that I think is going to be exciting. Yes, we'll worship the king. Yes, we'll honor him. Yes, we'll sing. We will see his face. But we'll also do a whole lot of other fun, creative, exciting things. And I think we'll just be thanking him for all those amazing gifts he's given to us. Look at what 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with a few things for our enjoyment, right? Is that what it says? What's it say? Everything for our enjoyment. Look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 4. 
For everything God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is, if it is to be received with thanksgiving. You know, flowers are beautiful because God is beautiful. Rainbows are stunning because God is stunning. Puppies are delightful because God is delightful. Work is rewarding because God is rewarding. Sports are fun because God is fun. Study is fulfilling because God is fulfilling. And so even on this earth, he's given us a foreshadowing, a foretaste of some of the wonderful things that you and I will be able to do forever and forever and forever. The problem is when we focus on the gifts more than we do the giver. Last year, as you remember, the Indianapolis Colts, God's favorite team, was, was in the Super Bowl uh, last year. And... Um, my friend David Hunt, we've been dear friends since the eighth grade. David Hunt calls me the night of the championship before the Super Bowl and says, Parker, we're going. We're going to the Super Bowl. And he's funny and excited and rich and all those things. So I thought, well, he'll probably go. He calls me the next day and he says, I bought our tickets. I've already got my plane ticket to Tampa. You're going to drive me down to Miami. And I've already got our hotel room. We're going. David treated me. Tickets, hotels, meals. I I bought one meal. He went to the restroom and I gave the waitress my card before he got back just to trick him. I mean, it it was was a great experience. I love the Super Bowl. Colts should have won. I loved it. It was a great experience. It was so much fun. And and I'd be one of those guys doing those commercials, you know, I've never missed a Super Bowl in, you know, 35 years. It was a great experience. But I got to be honest with you. It's David I had a great time with. I loved the game. I loved the environment. I loved all that. But I was with my friend for three days. And my friend lavishly blessed me with an experience that I wouldn't be able to have on my own. And so am I more excited about the game? Well, maybe if the Colts would have won. But more excited about the game? Or am I excited about my relationship with David? That's the fun part. And when you and I get to heaven, we're going to realize that God is such a giver of good gifts, an amazing giver of good gifts. But it's Him. It's Him that we'll praise. It's Him that we'll honor. Look at what Romans chapter 8 says. Romans 8 says, He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also, along with Him, graciously... God is so gracious. Graciously give us all things. You see, the problem in Eden, the tragedy of Eden. Now, by the way, Eden was really big. Have you ever noticed this or not? But the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. So Eden was really, really large. And God, you know, decided I'm going to do some, horti- some agriculture and horticulture and I'm going to plant a garden in, inside of Eden. The, the, the tragedy of Eden was not the curse and not that they got kicked out. The tragedy of Eden was that God's presence was no longer there. God withdrew His presence. And then what God does in the rest of the Bible, we see God's presence showing back up again. Just a little bit, just a faint, faint picture of God's uh, presence shows up again in that holy of holy place. One time a year, the high priest goes in there in the very presence of God. 
But then it happens in a fuller way when Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ, God, man, showed us the Father's glory. Look at John chapter 1 verse 14. And Jesus said, the word says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. So in Eden, the glory of God, the presence of God, God's walking with Adam and Eve. Eve. Then God's presence gets withdrawn. He takes it away. He shows up again a little bit in that holy of holy place. He shows up in one deity, Jesus Christ. And then God shows up in all the believers. Everybody who's a Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 says this. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. The tragedy of Eden was the presence of God was removed. And all along the way, God is revealing His glory and His presence again. And it's God's goal, folks. I mean, He gets bigger and bigger every time He reveals Himself. But God's presence is going to show up big time forever and forever. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 clearly teaches us this. Dear friends... Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him. There it is again. There's coming a day when you will see the face of God. Now again, I just want to make this clear. Heaven's going to be great for you. It's going to be a a moment, a place where you don't feel shame, you won't feel exposure, you won't feel embarrassment, it won't be an oh crap moment, it won't be I wish I could do it over again, it's not a mulligan. Heaven for you is coming to be a great day. Every man in this room, our greatest struggle is the fear of failure. And every man in this room will ask ourselves, am I strong? Do I have what it takes to be the man that God's called me to be? We all ask ourselves that question. That day is coming, we won't ask that. Every female in this room, every female's greatest fear is the fear of abandonment. And your greatest fear is, am I lovely and am I beautiful? That will not occur when we will see him face to face. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 says again, Now, finally, at last, the culmination, now the dwelling of God is with men. and He will be their God. And that's why Revelation 22, verse 4 says, We will see His face. Oh my gosh. What a moment that will be. But it's for Him. It's all for Him. You and I get to go to heaven. You and I get to be there. But it's really not about us. It's His party. It's His dance. It's His culture. It's His environment. And He transforms us who are Christians, who accept His Son, who let the blood of Jesus just flow all over us. And we get to be in that incredible environment. And so, if you're not a Christian, or if this is new to you, I would spend six months studying the claims of Christ. I would spend six months trying to figure out, you know, if this Jesus and if this God is is really real. I would spend some time. Is the Bible authoritative? And can I trust the, the written word? And I'm here to tell you, I've studied it for over 30 years now. 
I'm convinced the greatest miracle in the Bible is the Bible itself. I am flabbergasted at how all of these threads, the wharf and the woof, they just all flow together and just make this an amazing story of truth and inspiration. And for those of us that are Christians, I, I would, and I think most of us already get this, I think most of us are already there, but I, I would, if my eternity is not about me, probably my earthly existence isn't about me. And the answer to that question is, is you're right, it's not about you. But so often our greatest struggle is, is we think life's about us. And we make life about us, don't we? Just, just keep looking here. We think life's about us, okay? Life's not about that baby right now. That baby thinks life's about it, okay? But life's not about, life's not about you. And life's not about me. I don't know exactly when I figured this out. I've been married 26 and a half years. It hadn't been all that long ago when I really figured out that marriage, you know, this wasn't about me. This was about we. And I don't know when it was exactly I figured out that raising kids, these kids weren't for me, for my honor, for my pride, to make me look better, to make me look smarter. But I was to equip them for ministry and for service. I'm not exactly sure when I figured out. It's been about 15 or 20 years at least when I figured out as, as a pastor, this isn't about me. This isn't about my church or our This is about God's church and what God wants to do. I think most of you in this room understand it. I just want all of us to understand that. And could we live our lives to bring Him glory and honor? Could we live our lives in such a way that it's all about Him and it's not about us? You see, every gift that God has given to you, every skill that you have, every resource that you have, it's not about you. It's about God allowing you to use that for kingdom advancement and for kingdom purposes. So I just know this. I'm a whole lot happier when I'm not living for myself and when I'm living for Him. I have joy and peace and life when it's all about Him. And make no mistake, we get to be there. We'll have all kinds of activities. Maybe you'll get to paint. Maybe you'll play music. Maybe you'll play golf. Maybe you'll sing. Maybe you get to pitch in the World Series. I don't know. But it's still not about you. It's all about our great and gracious Heavenly Father. So that's where church comes in today. And church comes along and church says, we take you as you are, but we want you to grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter where you are, what you know, what you don't know, we just want you to grow. And we want you to come around you. So we provide things to help you to grow. So we have Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights to help you to grow. We have MOPs, Mothers of Preschoolers, to help you to grow. Jonathan mentioned a couple of new classes that are starting very, very soon to help you to grow. I don't know what your next step is, but just like God is whispering to Wade to put on his seatbelt because he wants to protect him, God is whispering to you what your next stage or step is. And so if it's all about you, you have a tendency to stay stuck and not to go, and not to grow, and not to move. But 
I think when we get there, we're still going to remember the good things that we did on this earth. I don't think we get a new chip and all of a sudden we just get new memory and everything we did on this earth just gets pushed delete or do over. And wouldn't it make sense? I mean, wouldn't it make sense to just do all that we can do today to honor the king? That's vision. That's wisdom. You were out here yesterday building houses and working muscles that haven't been worked in 15 years and you can barely tie your shoes this morning. Okay? You could have been at Gasparilla yesterday. But you were here. And you were building houses. That's an eternal perspective. And I just want to encourage you to keep up the good work. Continue to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be the happiest man, the happiest woman, happiest teenager that ever lived. Because it's never been about you. And it never will be about you. It will always be about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so as we close this morning, maybe this is new and you're not a Christian, you're not sure what to do next, come down and talk to one of our prayer partners. They're going to be in place in just a second. Come down and talk to one of them. Or maybe today is your day. Say, you know what? I do think Jesus is the Christ. I do think He's the Son of the living God. And I want to give my life to Him. And so you can do that with our prayer partners today. Or maybe today you just, you're hurting from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes. And it's not about building houses. Your heart's hurting. And you just want to pray with somebody and let somebody pray for you. You come. I'm going to ask you to stand. The prayer partners are going to come and, and spread out down here and get in place. And I'll close us in a word of prayer uh, this morning. Our Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. And we just really want to honor you with our bodies, our minds, our wills, our emotions, our hands, our feet, our tongues. We just want to honor you with our lives. And we are so grateful for the gifts. But we recognize, God, we recognize that you are the giver. And we worship you today. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen.